0: This is Ian Griffin with another edition of Professionally Speaking. Today, I'm honored to have as my guest, Jonathan Barant, a therapist and author whose area of expertise is social anxiety, including the anxiety many feel when called upon to deliver a speech in public. Hi, Jonathan, how are you today?
1: I'm great, thanks for having me.
0: Well, um, let's start then by just telling me a little bit about your background for those who uh, may not have heard of you before.
1: I started uh, my psychotherapy practice in 1978 with a specialty in social anxiety. Since that time, I have worked directly or supervised treatment for approximately 10,000 people of all ages. Um, Obviously, a big subset of social anxiety is its all based on performance. That's what separates social anxiety from other anxiety disorders. And a big subset is public speaking anxiety. And just as a starting point, it's very interesting. I've done about 1,500 presentations in my life, everything from uh, Oprah to Opie and Anthony, if some people knew who they were, shock jocks about a decade ago. Whether I'm speaking to a live audience or a taped audience, whether there's five people in the audience or 500 people in the audience, an interesting thing always happens. My hands get cold as I'm anticipating the speaking now what this is about is it's called vasoconstriction it is this physiological process that can start a panic reaction if a person doesn't understand it it's energy it's adrenaline when I experience cold hands I sometimes laugh to myself and I say this is exactly the dynamic that my patients need to learn how to control for me it means ready set go. And a big component of learning how to control public speaking anxiety is understanding the physiological aspects of things. One of the stories that I like to tell the most is a woman, she was 40 years old, an ovarian cancer survivor. She managed a dental practice and she said to me, Jonathan, I'd rather be back in chemotherapy than speak in front of a group. Remember, she almost died. What's that about? She says, with very genuine words, because there's no judgment. So through the years, I've been blessed. I've worked with many, many successful people. And here is people that nobody would ever know that there is a problem. Many of these people are perfectionists. The last thing a perfectionist is going to do is to admit an imperfection. Uh, one of the first interviews in the uh, at the homepage, socialanxiety.com, his name is Tom, not his real name. He's a COO of a major corporation, uh, a SWAT team member. He played semi-pro football, and he really resolved the problem. I don't use the word cure loosely, but after suffering from this for maybe 25, 30 years, he did cure the problem, and what he said to me, and you can listen to his interview at the website. He said, Jonathan, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, meaning treatment. And many of my successful patients have said that. And the process or the dynamic that is especially challenging is introspection, which means looking into oneself. And a lot of people have a terribly difficult time doing that.
0: And I did listen to that recording from Tom, on your website, we, we need to mention the website is social-anxiety.com for those listening who'd like to hear this for themselves. So please go ahead.
1: So there are two. Um, first of all, when somebody comes into treatment, the typical profile is a, an executive entrepreneur, a salesperson type of uh, profile. And the sufferer of this type of anxiety will wait for as long as they can. I mean, this, in, in many cases, this is an addiction to avoidance, you know, detaching, avoiding getting help because it's really hard. So they wait till the last minute. Nobody calls me unless there is a, uh, a significant problem. And the biggest mistake or piece of confusion that people bring into treatment is regarding how ingrained the problem has become. So the typical scenario is, A person will experience a panic reaction in a group. So I'll say, when did your problem start? And they'll say, oh, you know, it was about five, six years ago, whatever. Um, I had a panic attack out of nowhere. There was no reason for it. So I asked the person, do you understand what happened in that moment? Here's the answer. The person was experiencing a perceived threat. The, per- the perceived threat is judgment from the audience. So what's normal is the fight-or-flight response is in effect. Adrenaline is at play. This is all about adrenaline. Um, then what happens as the adrenaline is at play and the person feels a surge, which perhaps they have not felt before, they, their internal critical script, now that's an important thing because I teach people about mind states, there are five mind states, and one of them is the internal critical script. The critical script goes, oh, no, this is horrible. It overreacts, and that exacerbates the adrenaline flow, hence the panic attack. Okay, that's what happens in real time. But And, and the person will say, you know... Very commonly, my my problem started when I had that first panic attack because it's after that that the person learns a defensive position and gets involved in obsessively worrying about panic to happen the next time around. But the real cause of the problem is in one's reservoir. Now, the reservoir is one's conscious and not conscious past. There was a doctor at NYU Dr. Sarno, S-A-R-N-O, who died last year in his 90s. He was world famous for his work on back pain, and he's written a bunch of books. But anyway, the, the beauty of his work, the brilliance of his work, is that he organizes the content in the reservoir in a very productive way. So when I'm working with someone, there is the technique, the paradoxical technique, which I call surfing, you go with it, to make friends with adrenaline, and then there's the core work, the underlying work, the two are done together, and that's really the only way that there can be a real resolution to the problem.
0: This is fascinating. So obviously you've got decades of experience, like you say, 10,000 uh, people have been treated, and from what you've said, it's, it can be very deep rooted. Is there anything that uh, is specific to your, what I believe you call the burnt treatment method, as it applies to public speaking anxiety, that people listening to this could sort of trial for themselves? Or does it need them to come to somebody like you to work in depth?
1: Well, the, the, there's something very specific. Um, you know, what, one of the, there's a, at the risk of offending certain listeners here, there is who've been through. Uh, mental health treatment before, you've got to be careful as a consumer uh, regarding treatment. One of the biggest cliches um, afflicted on sufferers of social anxiety is the use of CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay, Now, cognition means thinking, and everything starts with a thought, obviously. It's important. Behavior speaks for itself, but what my program does is I have adapted a therapeutic uh, a mechanism specifically to meet the needs of performance anxiety versus trying to fit the person into an already existing uh, protocol. So we have the thinking, the cognition, we have the behavior. But most importantly, we have the the emotional core work and how that relates to physiology. That That's what really, really separates it. And what other uh, modalities don't understand is how deep the pain goes. I'll give you an example. Um, I actually spoke to this person today who is 95% of the way through treatment. Uh, He's a very successful uh, insurance salesman, was a top athlete, is a top athlete. He's about 40 years old. When he was growing up in his reservoir, this is an interesting story. He was 12 years old. He was in Little League. It was a very important game. He was up three times. He hits a home run. What happens after the game? The other kids are going to uh, a pizza party. And his father takes him to the batting cage to spend three hours practicing. Okay? Now, that's overkill. And that's an example. I'm not trying to knock anybody, parenting, whatever. But if you know, people really want to resolve the problem, which is ingrained, they have to do deep thinking. And that's what is the most difficult thing. In addition this person's mother suffered from alcoholism by the way alcoholism is the perfect recipe for performance anxiety but the bottom line is that this kind of um deep insight work and resolving the emotions that go along with it are super important for resolving um anxiety yeah so in in uh,
0: just to dive a little deeper then i mean you've got this book uh, you've published a couple of books i think the most recent one is that title, Work Makes Me Nervous. And I did look at online, because it's in Amazon, you can look at some of the chapter titles, um, and they've got chapter titles like Diagnose Yourself and Create a Map for, Your Change, for Change. Is that book of, uh, for listeners who... I want to see what is your uh, suggested solution. Is that a good place to start?
1: That's that's the perfect place to start. Work Makes Me Nervous, published by Wiley. You can get it on Amazon or at my website, socialanxiety.com. Not only is it a self-help program for uh, performance anxiety, my co-writer, whose name is Amy, comes out of the closet with her avoidant personality. This is one of the few books written co-written by someone who has an avoidant personality now that goes along with anxiety one of the ways the ways that you measure the severity of the problem with social performance anxiety is by how much avoidance is present and by the emotional and physical pain of the anxiety itself you know people say I would, uh, well, the ovarian cancer survivor, I'd rather be back in chemotherapy than speak in front of a group or the person who's thinking, uh, I'll get into an accident on my way to work to avoid the public speaking. Uh, one of my patients who, you know, when I started working with him uh, about a year ago, he's he's just about finished the program now, uh, he was going to a board of directors meeting in England and he was freaking out, he was panicking and one of his primary fears is sweating in public, avoiding haircuts, negotiating this whole process since he was 12 years old. Fast forward, one year later, he gets a seven-figure salary as the COO of this international company, very much because he resolved his anxiety and went into a proactive mode. Um, one of the metaphors that I use in treatment—we're coming off the Super Bowl here—and I happen to be a New England Patriots fan. Um, but the metaphor I use in treatment for the, you know, the coaching aspect is that the patient or the client is the quarterback, Tom Brady. Jonathan, the therapist, is Bill Belichick, you know, metaphorically the coach. And the purpose, the objective, is this: you cannot beat an anxiety disorder by playing defense. So the quarterback may drop the ball but he creates responsibility for motion and that's what's needed for the learning curve to resolve this uh this phenomenon
0: and that's that's very good to hear but in your experience and as you say you've worked with ten thousand people but there's a limited bandwidth i presume You know, there's only so many hours in the the week that you can work with people.
1: Well, you know, those 10,000 people, a lot of them. Listen, I'm 68 years old now, right? Okay. But a lot of those uh, 10,000 people came, you know, in previous times when I had staff and they were working with people and groups. Yes.
0: I'm just trying to sort of get a a clear idea. Uh, Somebody is listening. This resonates with them. They can relate to maybe not... Rather be back in chemo, but they recognize they're avoiding situations that might interfere with their career or just make them very uncomfortable. If they were to read the book, would there be steps and processes in, that you uh, have outlined in that book that they can then get some of the way to a more clarity, more inter- a better resolution through what's in the book?
1: Absolutely. Everybody has their own learning curve. But for example, I got a new patient the other day who called me from Amsterdam, and you know, a young, very successful entrepreneur, and he got the book uh, about a month ago, and he said basically, um, the book is my Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all the steps that are in there. You know, in terms of the learning curve, you know, there are many variables. Length of the problem, severity, degree of obsessive worry, which is a key term here. Expressive ability, ability to integrate new concepts, motivation, readiness to face fear. You know, for some people, the book can do a lot on its own. And if anybody is considering treatment, when you read the book, you'll certainly know if you're compatible with what I do. Um, Hmm. A couple of other points. Um, for for uh, the person suffering with this kind of anxiety, alcohol is the drug of choice. You know, it's it's amazing how how um, alive the use of alcohol is. The relationship of alcohol with many of the people that I work with, and when people start really being in control of that, many dramatically positive things can happen. But that's also a lead into the discussion briefly of medicine. Okay, many people um, who are suffering from anxiety um, are using medicine incorrectly or should be on medicine um, and are not. And what is specific to my model of treatment is when the person is stuck with the, uh, the skills and the insight work, we introduce pharmacological support, with the understanding that the goal of the medicine is to create what's called neuroplasticity, which means the, the brain, the, the brain chemistry evens out, and it gives the person more of an ability to do the insight work and to learn the skills. And then after a certain period of time, the goal is for the person to come off of the medicine.
0: So it's, a, it's not a permanent, uh, it's not like they will be on a, a statin for the rest of their life to lower their cholesterol this is something that helps them get over the uh being stuck so to speak
1: when when used the right way
0: yeah well this has been really fascinating and i, I know we've only just really touched the very surface of what you've written and, and the book of course is uh, available as you say on your website uh social-anxiety.com as on amazon and, and in bookstores i'm sure um just to wrap up is there anything that you'd like to say just to, i'm assuming that you know if the real audience for this i'm hoping is somebody who is in that situation unfortunately of having social anxiety especially around speaking what what would be your sort of passing words to somebody like that who's listening
1: thank you for the question and here here's the answer in the form of a question do you know what your most valuable asset is? It's not your house. It's not your mortgage. It's not your bank account. Your most valuable asset is time. Time is not elastic. It doesn't stretch. And people with this type of performance and social anxiety are very, very skilled at rationalizing how to avoid. So avoidance and time becomes the enemy. So that's my answer to your question. Don't wait. Your most valuable asset is time. The time to change is now.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being on our call today. And uh, I'm hoping everybody listening uh, who knows somebody in this situation can, uh, at the very minimum, check out your website, social-anxiety.com. There's an awful lot there, especially those... uh, uh, interviews that you've recorded with you know the people you've helped are quite powerful just five or ten minutes in length and uh, thanks so much for being with us today
1: well thank you very much for having me